Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Hola. Hi. Hola? ¿Cómo estás? Andrew, why are you speaking Spanish? No soy. I, 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 I don't know what you're saying. Espera, estoy hablando español. ¿Por qué estoy hablando español? I literally don't know what you're saying. I mean, what could this mean? ¿Sabes lo que significa? Mm, it must mean another trip around the globe. It's episode 91. Mexico is terrifying. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. I'm Marjorie Green, and I approve this message. To save America, Scott Socialism, and Scott China. Stay the pie, we honor thee from life to death Doubters, the doomsters, the gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. Because there's no one like you left. What do we want? Justice! What do we want? It? I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. Sometimes that is better. When I went to his bedroom to say goodnight and he was crying because of the abuse that he was enduring in this school system. Then why didn't you stay in Mexico? That's indicative of what our kids are experiencing. Comments like that. And that's no, he's sharing a story right now. And that's indicative of what our kids are experiencing. Bienvenido a Frage El Trece Podcast de Terror. Mi nombre es Andrew. E mi nombre es Matty. And today, welcome, we are talking all about Mexico as we we continue our 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 trip Pardon around me, the globe. Andrew, Andrew, it's Mexico. Thank you very yeah, much. Sorry, sorry. Um, so you forgive my my horrible broken Spanish. It's been a while since I've practiced. So there we go. Um, but yes, we are continuing our global horror series with Mexico, which is our our only stop in Northern America this time around. Uh, so. There's that. <laughs> yeah. So this is, if you haven't heard the rest of our global horror series, you should go back and have a listen. First, we were in Italy, and then we were in Australia, and now we are in Mexico, uh, at the southern part of the yeah. continent called North America. So we and, got, you know, if, if this just happens to be your first time listening, we sure. are a podcast that talks all about horror, horror in real life, and horror in the movies from an LGBTQ perspective. So, And, and where we start every episode, dear listeners. Every episode always begins with a little trip to the certified terrifying corners. Let's head over there really quick. Andrew, just a couple of uh, of things in real life happening right now in the news. Um, really interesting, actually, is the tensions right now between the U.S. and China are really hot. Um, and they're, they're, they're rising quickly. The U.S. today is uh, starting to send troops over to the Philippines for the first time in decades. It's been a long time since we, we had a military presence there. 
Um, folks are talking about how this might be about Taiwan. Um, so who knows what's going on in the background right now, but that sounds kind of scary. And also, a this was in the news today, wild, a Chinese spy balloon was seen over Montana. And apparently, China did apologize for this today. And they said that it was... Um, something like a like a, a a civilian research thing that like just like went wrong, but I don't know. Sounds kind of suspicious given <laughs> given the way the tensions are rising right now. Well, it is weird that they would choose Montana of all places, one of the least populated states in, in the U.S. To <laughs> yeah, but also probably where we have a lot of nuclear missile silos is my guess. Yeah. Um, so interesting and like military installations. So interesting sure. stuff. Crazy. It'll be weird to see how that develops, but hopefully, hopefully it doesn't go in the wrong direction. Um, in, in Ireland here, uh, it, things have been getting very weird over here. Uh, the far right in Ireland, um, has really been wreaking minor havoc all over the country, um, with these anti-refugee protests. And you probably haven't heard a lot about this in the American news, but we certainly hear about it over here and it's all over Twitter. Um, you know, the, the, the far right in Ireland is just a f- like the far right anywhere. They're fucking weird. And they're mostly Nazis. They're, they're, they're white nationalists and they just happen to attach themselves to like this idea of an Irish homeland for Irish people. Um, forgetting that literally like Irish immigrants have basically populated the entire world, but that's for another story. Right. Um, so they've been doing all of these really terrible anti-refugee protests, um, in Dublin specifically, they go like outside of hotels where I mean, where it's like women and children, you know what I mean? And they like shout and yell and like kids are fucking crying inside. It's just awful stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's been a little weird over here. And, um, there's a lot of talk too about how it's probably American far right extremists that are funding the whole thing. So over there, far right is the same as over here, far right, correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah. as I know in like certain countries, like left and right can mean two different things when it comes to the political spectrum. Well, yeah. So, so, so sometimes it's like it's like the to to the degree, right? So I mean, like, yeah. for example, like the 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 uh, party that's in power right now, they're called Fine Gael. And like Fine Gael, like my friends would call them a right wing party. And I'm like, girl, they're Democrats. <laughs> like yeah, that is yeah. basically what they are. But far right, that always means like, you know, Nazis, basically. Yeah, so it's yeah. just funny because I remember when we talked about Australia, when Australia says liberal, that means something completely different oh, yeah, than totally. like what right. we do. So it's just it just wanted to clarify. Yeah. But good luck with all your hotel protests. <laughs> Yeah, not they're not mine, that's for sure. <laughs> Anyways, that's it for the ter- Certified Terrifying Corner. Let's get on with the show. Yeah, so today we are talking all about Mexico, a country that we've both been to, actually. Yes. Uh, albeit uh, very tourism parts of Mexico. Um, what I would love to do is go to Mexico City one day. That always sounds so amazing. It's I think it's the third most populous city in the world. I think though. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it's right up there. It's in, in the top five, but just to see like all that culture and everything, it just it's it's a landlocked city, and that's like not my jam when it comes to vacations. So yeah, sure. I like to I like to be near the water. So, but yeah, we both been to Mexico. Um, I've been to a couple places in Mexico, uh, Puerto Vallarta uh, and Putacana. I, like, I think those are only two in actual Mexico. I've always wanted to go to the Yucatan, just haven't ever made it. I was yeah. slightly obsessed with the Yucatan Peninsula because I used to have a Road Rules VHS tape. And it was, <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Them going up and down the Yucatan Peninsula. And I would watch it over and over again as a young teenager saying, I'm going to travel more <laughs> when course. I get out of Michigan. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 
Uh, but just some small facts about uh, Mexico. Um, it obviously they, they have a president. Obviously, it's a it's a quote unquote democracy like like America, uh, if you want to call it that. There's a lot of upheaval in kind of the Latin American states and including Mexico and a lot of upheaval and a lot of stuff that actually America has really had the hand in doing or oh God, kind of, of inciting. Um, but their president currently is Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Uh, he goes by AMLO for short, or that's what the people have given his, him as a nickname. Uh, he's actually their 65th president. Uh, he was elected in 2018, so just kind of, yeah. And, and he uh, was the president elect party. Uh, so that that's what party he falls in. I'm not really sure what that means. And as far as like Mexican politics, but um, it's the first time that a president elect uh, party. He was like the first one in forever. Their, their be party elected, is called so. president elect. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's what I read. That's a strange um, title for a, for a party. My goodness. But um, so one thing that we should note, um, you know, there is a lot of dangerous parts of Mexico with the cartel running around and a lot of uh, gang activity. But that should never deter you from, you know, going and, and visiting these places because the places that you're going to visit are the more... <laughs> They're, I mean, they're tourists. They're tourist destinations. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I I think though too. Like, I I think that it's I, it, this is actually good to talk about right now because we're we're doing a global horror series, and so I think that um, you know we we've had a travel episode before where we talked about you know what it's like to be gay and travel and how that yeah. can be really terrifying, and so you know I think that that's a whole different ball game, um, you know, to sort of talk about. And you should go, go back and listen to that episode; it's very good. Um, but I think too, when it comes to like thinking about like where you want to go, I, I I think it's important to remember that everywhere in the world is dangerous, and yeah. it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're going to Chicago, you know, where we're both from, or if you're going to Boston, or if you're going to Puerto Vallarta, every single or or Dublin for that matter, everywhere that you go is going to have a really bad part of town where you just got to be smart, and I, I think that's that's the thing is like, it's just learning how to become a good traveler is something that everyone should do. And learning how to like respect the culture of, of wherever it might be that you're going and like trying to, you know, trying to blend in as much as you can and not just be like a total jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then chances are, if you do that, you're, you're probably going to stay out of trouble for the most part. Yeah. Trouble finds trouble. Let's just put it that way. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, don't, don't be trouble. Yeah, but I mean, overall, uh, homicides are down in Mexico right now. Um, so, I mean, the president, he he's kind of vowed to, like, take the military off the street, but he hasn't. Um, but there's, like, a whole thing down there of, like, they think that he's doing an okay job. So I think, you know, America and Mexico, we're probably in the same boat when it comes to an sure. okay job of yeah, a president. <laughs> exactly, right. But speaking of death, Maddie, I think that you have a little bit about kind of the practice of how how death is celebrated in Mexico. I do, Mexico. yeah. So, you know, for me, um, you know, like, if I, I'm going to sound like a dumb American here, but, like, my obvious closest connection to Mexican culture um, is food, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, a Mexican food is by far my favorite food in the world. I could eat it literally for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, anything. I, I'll eat any single thing Mexican. Um, it's been it's been fun trying to find good Mexican food over here in Dublin, but I found a couple good places. Um, and uh, you know, also in the community that I was a part of back in back in Chicago, it's called All Saints. Um, we were really big on Mexico. We had we had some fundraisers that we did for for some folks down down in Mexico. Um, 
and we did a lot of work down there uh, helping people build houses, that, that kind of thing. But not like creepy mission work. That's not who we were. So don't let your mind go there. Um, <laughs> but but because of that, um, a lot of a lot of the traditions that that you know our friends in Mexico, uh, uh, kind of around uh, Guanajuato, uh, that they celebrated, they they brought back to us. And so one of the really cool things that we did um, every year at All Saints was we celebrated uh, the 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 Day of the Dead. And it was right around All Saints Day, of course. Um, so it, it fit in sort of like really perfectly with, with who we were. And we we had this tradition of putting up um, the really colorful like tissue flags that, that they put up, which I'll tell you more about soon. Um, and we also would take triangles of, of really brightly colored paper and we would all take a couple of weeks to write down on on you know as many as you wanted the the names of people in our lives that had died the year before and so in the sanctuary we would fill this whole place up with these flags that hung over our heads and it was really beautiful and then as part of it too we would make a frenda which are like little altars mm -hmm. um, to people that have died before and it was just it's such a beautiful moving experience and it you know th it's just something that is um you know, for a, for a white boy from Northwest Indiana um, who doesn't have a drop of of of, of uh, Latino or Hispanic blood, it's something that I I really hold as a really nice connection to the country of Mexico and to the culture in general because it's just something so so beautiful. And um, when it comes to Dia de los Muertos, which is of course Day of the Dead, um, there, there's there's a lot of things about it that maybe you don't know. So Andrew, the holiday, and this is all from National Geographic, by the way, the holiday dates back thousands of years, which actually I really didn't know this. Um, Day of the Dead originated several thousand years ago with the Aztec, the Toltec, and other Nahua people who considered mourning the dead disrespectful. For these pre-Hispanic cultures, death was a natural phase, phase pardon me, in life's long continuum. The dead were still members of the community, kept alive in memory and spirit, and on the Day of the Dead, they temporarily returned to Earth. So today's Day of the Dead celebration is a mashup of the pre-Hispanic religious rites and of the Christian feast. It takes place on November 1st and 2nd, All Saints Day and All Souls Day, right? Uh, on, on the Catholic calendar, of course. And that's around the time of the fall maize harvest. So it kind of all fits in together with, with multiple cultures there. It's really interesting stuff. Hmm. Um, it's also been recognized by UNESCO. Uh, so cultural heritage, it's not just monuments or like collections of objects. Uh, the United Nations Edu Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, uh, says that cultural heritage also includes living expressions of culture, traditions that are passed down from generation to generation. So in 2008, UNESCO recognized the importance of the Day of the Dead by adding that holiday to their list. Now, the altars that I mentioned earlier, the ofrenda, the very important tradition, the centerpiece of the entire celebration is the altar, and it's built in private homes and cemeteries. They're not altars for worshiping, but they're meant to welcome the spirits back to the realm of the living. So they get loaded then with, with a lot of offerings, water and food and family photos and the candle, um, all of those kinds of things. Marigolds tend to be the main flowers that they use to decorate the altar. Because you know um, that dead is going to be coming back thirsty. <laughs> oh, girl. I mean, I would. You know what I mean? It's dry in the afterlife. Dry as hell. Um, and also there are literary calaveras. Uh, calavera means skull. Uh, but during the late 18th and 19th centuries, uh, a calavera was used to describe short, 
humorous poems, which were often sarcastic tombstone epitaphs that got published in newspapers and poked fun at the living. This is actually really funny. Uh, these literary, literary calaveras eventually became a popular part of Day of the Dead. Uh, and today the practice is alive and well. You'll see these clever, biting poems in print, read aloud, and broadcast on television and radio. So you're saying uh, that even in death, I cannot escape people roasting me. Yeah, sorry, Andrew. We, we're going to roast you mercilessly, even when you're dead. I'm sorry, but it's going to be fun. Um, and there's also, um, there, there's a calavera called Katrina. And in the early uh, early 20th century, Mexican political cartoonist and lithographer, Jose Posada, uh, created an etching to accompany a literary calavera. Posada dressed his personification of death in fancy French garb and called it Calavera Garbancera, uh, intending it as a social commentary on Mexican society's emulation of European sophistication. Todos somos calaveras, a quote commonly attributed to Posada, means we are all skeletons. Underneath all our man-made trappings, we're all the same. Uh, families bring food to the dead. Uh, and according to National Geographic, you work up a mighty hunger and thirst traveling from the spirit world <laughs> back to the realm of the living. And that's the traditional belief in Mexico. So a lot of people will make something called a pan de muerto, which is a bread of the dead. It is a typical sweet bread, pan dulce. Uh, and it often features anise seeds and it's decorated with bones and skulls made from dough. Actually, I kind of want that right now. Um, the bones might be arranged in a circle as in the circle of life and tiny dough teardrops symbolize sorrow. Sugar skulls are part of a sugar art tradition brought by um, some Italian missionaries. Those get pressed in molds and they're they're always like kind of like really fancy colors. Um, and then of course they also have drinks to celebrate the holiday. Uh, one called pulque, and forgive me, my Spanish pronunciation is not great. Uh, but pulque well, it doesn't help that you're learning Italian at the exa same time. exactly, <laughs> which is a little bit different. Um, but the um, the drink called pulque is a sweet fermented beverage made from agave sap. Um, and then there's also uh, a tole, I believe, a thin, warm porridge made from corn flour with unrefined cane sugar, cinnamon, and vanilla added. And then, of course, Mexican hot chocolate. That's also part of it, which is the best hot chocolate. Uh, people dress in costumes. They wear wild and fanciful costumes. They wear a lot of skulls, and they have a lot of calavera um, sort of touches to them. The streets get decorated in papel picado. Um, and this is, a, it's, it's the paper craft that I was talking about earlier. And like, if you've ever been to a Mexican restaurant in America, you've probably seen those there too. Um, the little literal translation is pierced paper and that describes how it's made. So artisans will stack colored tissue paper in dozens of layers, and then they perforate those layers with a hammer and chisel. And Papo Picado isn't just used during day of the dead, uh, but it does play, of course, a very important role in the holiday. Um, and of course, Mexico City, where one day, Andrew, we will go, it hosts an iconic parade. And it's more popular than ever these days, especially after COVID now. Um, and even abroad, you know, there's Day of the Dead celebrations sort of all over the place. I know in um, in Pilsen in Chicago, they have a big Day of the Dead celebration. So, I mean, probably even close to where you live, you might be able to find one. And if there ever is one, you should go check it out. But I would say this, Andrew, too. Even if there's not, and even if you don't make it to Mexico anytime soon, think about making Day of the Dead part of what you do in your life. It's actually kind of cool to think about, like, I'm going to take some time to think about the people that have passed in this past year and why mm -hmm. they were important to me and 
and I'm going to, you know, hold those memories really close. I might even make some jokes about it just to make, you know, kind of make light of it. But I mean, what a beautiful tradition, you know? Yeah. I, w- I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, of any other, and I'm I'm talking about um, America specifically, yeah. but uh, of any other besides obviously the the english because that's where we were colonized from but there's no other culture that i can think of that's had so much of a profound influence on things in america than mexican culture or spanish culture or sure. whoever you know like wherever it comes from from the food to the celebrations to everything there's a little bit of that weaved into almost everything that happens in in america as well Absolutely. it's it's kind of fascinating actually and you know i'm 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 guessing a lot of it is because of how immigration happens and and whatnot, but I do think that um, it's really I, what I love about different cultures and what I love about what they bring is like these kind of celebrations of things that we see as loss and see as depression and see yeah. as something totally different that we we can't wrap our head around where they see it as something like a, a celebration in this case with Dia de los Muertos, but. It's just, it's fascinating to me how, you know, we're all one people, but because of how you were raised or where you were raised or what kind of culture you were in, the different kind of ways you think right. of things like death or celebration. It's just fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's an astounding uh, foil to how America thinks about death, which is barely at all. And I, and I think that like the, the bravery of approaching death in this way is really incredible. Um, yeah. and it's something that I think everyone should learn from because one day you're going to die, get used to it. Yeah. Unfortunately in America, we think of, uh, only money associated to death. Like mm-hmm. how much is it going to cost? How much do I need to have for one life day, insurance? One like, day, Andrew, we're going to do the death and dying episode. That's going to happen this year. I'm putting that out there. Yeah. We just have to space it out because we just had that birthday when we all got depressed. I get it, so. but we're, <laughs> we're going to do that one. Got it. All right. Well, uh, thanks for talking all about that. I I really enjoyed hearing all of the uh, accoutrements around it. Should we talk a a little bit about another thing that's a little spooky? Ooh, give it to me. And that's some some spooky legends and things that come from... I I went from either Spain or Mexico just because of how they kind of like... Because most of the things that come out of Spain have gradually made their way over to Mexico or vice versa just because of how they're linked. Sure. Um, So the first one is El Cuco, which actually does originate in Spain. But let's let's face it. These Mexican parents are using the same legend to scare (laughs) their kids. So um, uh, this is also like... It's the boogeyman, essentially. Wait, Andrew, Um, wasn't this also the monster in... um... That HBO show that, that came out like two years ago. It was a Stephen King. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, this is also known as El Viejo del Saco or El Saco Man. Um, and on some occasions, uh, he basically, he targets children. <laughs> and yes. Latino parents is... Oh, go ahead. Andrew, it was. It, it, the, the El Cuco is the monster from The Outsider that was on HBO. And I, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, I've heard this before. And Stephen King was, was, was a part of it. And that was like back in 2020, I think that came out. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I, I, know, I, didn't, I think I missed that one, actually. Yeah. It was, it was pretty good. It was scary. 
Um, so usually uh, Latino parents will use El Cuco to drive the fear of God into their children. So oh just like God. the boogeyman, the boogeyman that you grew up with, um, El Cuco actually looks for misbehaving children or what they put in here is pataperos, which is basically like wandering children. So oh my. Uh, it, it deters kids from running away from home, essentially. <laughs> okay. Um, Spanish legend has it that El Cuco is Francisco Ortega. Um, at the beginning of the 20th century, Ortega was so desperate to find a cure for his tuberculosis that he visited a a curanderia, which is basically a folk healer. Um, And he was told to drink the blood of children. So he kidnapped a seven-year-old boy named Bernardo and drank his blood. Oh my God, Uh, Jesus. Did not cure his tuberculosis, uh, sadly. (laughs) um, So that's El Cuco. Um, The other one that I think a lot of people know about, so I'll go through it very quickly. Uh, There's been movies about it at this point. So La Llorona. Um, basically the whole story is that Maria, she commonly goes by Maria. It's kind of not known where this really comes from. Um, but it's basically what happens is a, a woman is scorned by her husband or she is not found attractive by her husband anymore. So he either, um, denies her or has, uh, relations with another woman, depending on the story that you hear. And out of her rage around this, she drowns her own children so that he can't have the children either. Uh, and then she kills herself. And basically the ghost version of La Llorona is a woman, uh, kind of searching the afterlife for the children that she murdered. Um, and therefore she will take your children as well. Um, wow. There's, there's a really bad uh, American uh, movie called La Llor- the curse of La Llorona. I don't recommend oh, I remember that. that. Yeah, sure. Um, but there is a really good Mexican movie called La Llorona. It okay. used to be on shutter. I'm not sure if it's there anymore, but that one's actually much better. So okay. um, if you want to see a movie about that, I would recommend the Spanish version rather than the American Wanaverse version. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, that's those, those are kind of like the two big folklore things that come out of Mexico. So speaking of, you know, we were talking about death earlier. Do you want to hear about because we visit it in every country some of the biggest natural disasters in bring the it on to history. me baby bring it on um uh i don't mean to laugh but the we we've gone through this now three times and now it's like oh here we go again more death um but um so the biggest one uh there's there's two here that i found particularly fascinating either from a very like weird way or sure. kind of a, a gross way um but the first is the mexico city earthquake this happened in in 1985 so relatively not that long ago i mean we were both alive when this happened um this is probably the deadliest natural disaster ever uh, on september 19th of 1985 the earth shook and mexico changed forever the quake measured an 8.1 on the richter scale so think about that an 8 point one i think a normal that's earthquake, a lot i think a normal like a, a normal devastating earthquake is like a five so Jesus. um it, it and it lasted an entire it's only it lasted two minutes that's that's it it, it struck at about seven nineteen in the morning but hundreds of billions uh, i'm sorry hundreds of buildings collapsed after the first minute and thousands of people were buried under the rubble oh my god um because of the codes at the time the building codes and everything obviously everything was kind of not built correctly of course and a lot of really tall office buildings and apartment buildings just toppled in and on themselves um they really don't know how many people died in this in this disaster because the government was completely overwhelmed by this disaster like they didn't know what to do was something My that they Lord. couldn't 
they couldn't even like figure out how to cope with it. Um, it's really sad. A lot of uh, the government kind of just said, you guys need to help clean up this mess. And basically, the people that were looking for their loved ones were literally looking through the, the rubble trying to find their their loved ones. God, it's so it sad. Awful. Jesus. Um, there were so many bodies that the baseball stadium overflowed with them. Um, oh, my God. And oh, my. That's what a terrible image. Oh, my yeah, Lord. Dead bodies. <sighs> um the consequences of the earthquake were actually pretty big. Um, it actually weakened the ruling political party's uh, grip on power, yeah. which really had remained unchallenged for kind of decades at that point. It sounds um, like a good thing. Yeah, and it actually gave the people a sense of power, uh, kind of like in the face of their own tragedy. Wow. Um, it also spawned safety and prevention codes. Like I said before, there wasn't in place before. Um, and it really bred a new generation of civilian heroes. Yeah. Uh, it, it kind of... It, and this is what I wish would happen sometimes in America. It, it seems to happen for about a day and then we're on to the next thing. But there's yeah. there's like an uprising of people saying like, we all went through this tragedy. To, the only thing I can equate it to is maybe 9-11. Sure. Like where a huge tragedy happens and a, a groundswell of people come together to yeah, really it make it that. to make it something bigger and to make it uh, kind of last over time and change things. So I thought that that was particularly interesting just because of what happened in the aftermath of it. Absolutely. Um, not necessarily the, the disaster itself, but um, the other one I have here, I had never heard of this and it was so strange because I can't even imagine being this guy. So this is the Paracutan volcano and this okay. happened in 1943 um, this is in a really like ordinary village in the province of Mikohan, Miko, sorry, Michoacan. Michoacan. <clears throat> Michoacan. Um, and on February 20th of 1943, a humble farmer was just working in his field when suddenly the ground shook and the earth opened <laughs> and there was an explosion of rocks and gas. No, and just this is like, not a, this is not a true story. It's, it, it certainly is. Shut um, the fuck and up. Just like that, out of the blue, a new volcano was born. Um, this is actually to date of this writing. Um, so I think that this was in 2015 is when this kind of when this was written. Um, this was still the newest volcano to date that like kind of was like birthed out of the out of the the, the earth. So I thought that, that was particularly interesting. Um, the local people were basically forced to leave their homes and their fields behind when the lava kind of like flow targeted their village. The lava swallowed two entire towns and a thousand people died. Only a church tower was saved from the destruction. So there's proof that God exists, right? Wow. That, um, I've never heard that story before. Yeah. Can you imagine you're just like tilling your fields and then all of a sudden er like earthquake and then there's a literal volcano below your feet yeah no i i would freak the fuck out andrew i would absolutely freak out yeah so i thought that those two were uh, particularly interesting uh kind of in the wake and i didn't know that that was kind of the kind of quote-unquote like newest yeah. volcano that we've had and that's and, so cool you know. But yeah, so I mean, that, that, that. That, that's the other thing is it, it's terrifying, but it is also kind of cool. Like a fucking volcano just came out of the fucking ground. You know, the earth is the earth is insane. <laughs> like, obviously, like I know that volcanoes, they all had to come out of the ground at some point. I get it. You know, Bill Nye. But like, it's just like I'm just, ima I'm just imagining seeing that right now. I, I can't get over it in my head. It's absolutely crazy. Well, I mean, I think when most people think of a volcano, they think of a mountain, like Mount St. Helen or yeah, like sure. you, right. whatever. Like you see it in the distance. It's a huge thing and you know it's there. This guy was literally like on his farm. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. 
But Mexico. You know, the other thing Me- I was I would say too is like, and we talked about this earlier. You said that it has such a a, a huge you know influence on on America and like. Well, I no longer live there. Um, you know, like seriously, you're you're right. You know, I mean, like it's it's such an important thing to consider, and then to also consider like how badly people get treated because they're Mexican. You know, yeah, that's the other thing. And like thinking about how how immigration policies have just been so awful toward it, and like how our own economic policies toward Mexico have been so hostile, and like it's just it's such a shitty arrangement. It's just dumb, you know. Well, and, 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 it, and it sucks because like they're just they're amazing people, like 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 everyone else in the world. They're just people in the world, and and they have given so much to to America, and like it's sure as shit. Like the same the same like dumb American eating in some Mexican restaurant tonight in fucking like Toledo or some shit is sitting there also going like I hate immigrants. You know, you just want to be like, you know what, dude, fuck you. You know. Well, it's what what's really like, and I I thought a lot about this. You know. We have two borders. We have the border to the north and the border to the south. And the way that we treat those two borders differently mm, is I, just boy. Insane. I wonder. I wonder why we do that, Andrew. I wonder if it's because Canadians are white, basically, as snow, and Mexicans are not. Yeah, it's that's it's it. Just just to think about that, you it's know, gross. It's it is gross, and yeah. I uh, there's and there's there's no way we're going to solve it today. We're not going to solve it tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I mean, with, with, when's the last time you heard a Republican say, "Let's build a wall with Canada"? <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean, it's never going to happen. It's just, it's such bullshit. Oh gosh! But anyway, that does it for our little trip to Mexico and our horror in real life. Love it. But we have some really great movies that I don't think either of us had seen prior no, to this no, episode. No, no, never. I, I, and I honestly hadn't even heard of them before, too. And and they're they're really good. So I, I think you guys are going to like the way that we talk about them. So right before that, though, we have a little segment to do that we all know you love. So let's get down to it and talk about what we've been watching, bitch. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, welcome to What You Been Watching, Bitch. What You Been Watching, you... I don't want to say Mexican, but... I don't like that, right? Uh, well, listen, welcome back to What You Been Watching, Bitch. It's a favorite segment of many people. And it is where we basically just tell you what we've... Um, what we've been watching. So Andrew, go ahead and give us your first item. The first one is a movie that literally like I I don't know when it came out. It just I just happened to see it on Hulu and I uh-huh. saw it was Duplass Brothers which I'm I I love I pretty much love everything that yeah, Duplass sure. Brothers do. So I was like, "Yeah, let's watch it." It's called The Drop and it's on Hulu. And so I went into this very blind. We didn't even watch a preview. Um, Basically what the movie is about, and this seems to be a trend right now in movies, is that it's about this like group of people that are going on a um, destination wedding. Okay. Um, There's a lot of wedding movies out there right now. I don't know what's happening, but (laughs) uh, so there's like a group of people that are going on this uh, destination wedding with the couple. They include a lesbian couple that just uh, had a baby. Love it. 
Um, there is a moment where they're in the airport getting ready to, I forget if they're getting on the plane or just getting off the plane, but the, whatever, they're in the airport. And the, the main bride, uh, the woman who's getting married, she's like, oh, can I, can I hold the baby? Like, I'll hold it while you like get your luggage or whatever. And the movie is called The Drop. Can you imagine what she accidentally does? What does she do? She accidentally drops the child. Oh, no. (laughs) And then this just incites like a whole thing of like, are we ready for kids? Um, Sure. Like, it's just like a spiral of like all these things. And like now that that couple doesn't trust them anymore. And like, it's this whole thing. But it's a great ensemble cast. Um, It's Duplass Brothers. So obviously, there's a lot of like sly undertones and everything. I would definitely give it a shot if you like that kind of comedy, that kind of like more dry, witty comedy. Um, I had a good time with it, and I and I'm sorry if I spoil that they drop the baby, but the movie's called The Drop. So, <laughs> Amen. I mean, look, you're you're going to get it eventually. Okay, The Drop. Um, my first one is The Whale. Um, I saw it at the member screening at Lighthouse Cinema. Um, I'm a proud loyalty plus member at Lighthouse Cinema, and um, The Whale is the movie that if you don't know what it is, it's it's the new Brendan Fraser movie that everyone is freaking out about in one way or another. Um, I gotta tell ya, I've watched a lot of fucking movies in my goddamn life. The last 10 minutes of this movie blew my fucking mind. They, it's, this movie is so goddamn beautiful, I cannot get over it. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy around it because, of course, you know, he's, he, uh, Brendan Fraser plays a, a very, very, very obese man in this movie who is just sort of at the end of it all. And then that's not giving anything away. Um, and he's he's reconciling with the things that he knows he needs to reconcile before he's probably going to die, and um, and you know the, the controversy around like you know whether whether that story should be told or whether you know somebody like Brendan Fraser should play it is a conversation for another day. What what I can tell you is that Brendan Fraser was I, I, I could start crying now thinking about it. He was phenomenal, phenomenal. Like I I, I honestly cannot believe that that man was capable of producing that performance and that, that anyone was. And, um, the last 10 minutes were so beautiful. I, I don't think I've ever, and I, I took my friend Allie with me too. We were absolute wrecks. I don't think I've cried that hard in a movie. Um, in, I don't, I don't know the last time, honestly. And I cried because of like sadness, of course, but also because of joy. Like the, the movie has a hopeful message and I hope that people will take it away. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but listen, go see the whale. Yeah, I think it's just now like wrapping up. It's kind of like theater, 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 that's a, that's uh, a new word. theater run here. Yeah. So I'm guessing it's going to be on your on demand soon here sure. in America. So yeah, we'll definitely give it a watch. I, I would say if if you have the chance to go see it in, in the theater, you you should. It, it's it's I think it's brilliant on a big screen. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll try. It's been out for like a month now, and the way movies come in and out, it's so quick. It's yeah. insane. Uh, my second one is uh, the Mayfair Witches, which uh, didn't know was a thing until it was a thing. Um, it's on AMC Plus. You can watch it there, or just watch it on AMC when it's on TV. Um, this is the Anne Rice book Chronicles of the Mayfair Witches, which I'm not as familiar with, and that Neither may am I really yeah. um, that may guide my opinion a little bit on. On it because sure. I have heard from people that have read the books that it's kind of a deeper departure than what they were hoping for. Huh, okay, um, when it comes to like the source material, um, but Anne Anne Rice's son is involved, so like Chris Rice. I, 
yeah, I, I guess I don't really know if like people should be mad or not because like it's his material now. So I don't know what. Yeah, what exactly. Right. But um, I'm liking it so far. It's like we're probably like halfway through the season at this point. Um, So basically, it's about a girl who was adopted. And as her mother is tragically dying of cancer, um, she starts finding out that she has like maybe some power. Hmm, interesting and she's like and then she asked her mom like where am i from and her mom won't tell her and it's all about her trying to find like where she's from and she turns out she's from a, a long line of witches and it takes place in um, new orleans uh it, it's it's i'm liking it so far there's definitely like some dips in here and there and i kind of don't really know what's going on because i'm not familiar with yeah. the material but i'm still liking it it's alexandra daddario which i i actually okay. really do like her as an actress um so she, she thinks she's doing a good job um like i said i don't know the source material so i don't know if this is like sacrilegious that i'm saying that i'm liking it but <laughs> so far i and listen we all know how much of a sucker i am for some good witchcraft yeah so, <laughs> there it is okay. mayfair witches on amc cool. plus Speaking of another TV show, I am watching The Last of Us on uh, HBO in America and on now over here in Europe. It is fucking great. It's so good. I really love this show. Pedro Pascal and all the rest of the people are doing a fantastic job. It's just fucking, this show is fucking brutal. It's so good. Um, and in particular, I'm sure everyone has heard about this already, at least by the, by the time that you hear this episode, surely you have, or you've at least watched it. The third episode with uh, Murray, what's his last name? Bennett, I think. Murray Bennett. And Nick Offerman is in it too. Is so good. It's so good. It's so, so, so good. Especially for gay people. It's really nice to have this episode. Um, you should watch it. It's it, it will make you feel good in a very strange zombie way. It did for me. Um, I love it. I think it's a wonderful show. So that is one that I am highly endorsing. The Last of Us. Cool. Yeah, I we are watching it as well. Um, I like it. It hasn't quite like completely dragged me in. And I only say that because I think that I'm still like on Walking Dead. Um, what am I talking about? Like, like, the, I never it, watched it. Well, you know, then and, and that's probably why you love it so much. Like, I think that I'm still like coming off of that. Like, ugh, I'm so over like the zombies and the blah 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 but it is it is a refreshing take on it i will say that the first episode was in, insane <laughs> yeah just like the way it for happens. real I, um, I i will say too about i will say this the third episode twitter was an interesting place to be the day after that came out because listening to like like graduate students in queer studies like lambast that episode was so nauseating it's just fucking nauseating like it's such a great episode. It was written so well. It was executed so, so well. And and Nick Offerman and, and Murray Bennett did a fantastic fucking job. And like, can people just let something be good for people? No. <laughs> like, just like, just shut the fuck up and let it be good. And if people are happy about it, let them be fucking happy about it. It just, it, oh, it drives me insane. Yeah, we've talked about it before, but you know how I feel about it. <laughs> um, so my my third one is uh, that I've only watched one episode because the new episode literally came out last night and I haven't had a chance to watch the second episode. So I'm only off of, going off of one episode here. Um, it is the new Sarah Michelle Geller uh, vehicle <laughs> called Wolfpack on okay. Paramount+. Plus. Uh, this is kind of a reimagining of the MTV Teen Wolf. So it, if you kind of like understood that show, it's it's kind of in the same vein. I would say it's maybe 
from the first episode alone, it's maybe meant for like an age group, maybe one below me, okay. um, just because of like how they kind of do things. But there was a scene in the very first episode where uh, there's a basically a forest fire and there's all these animals being forced out of the out of the out of the fire and they stampede onto like uh, basically where like cars are stopped on the road and everyone kind of gets out of their car. And sure. there is some brutal shit. And that was some antlers and some hooves and what they do to those people. So <laughs> that's all I will say. Um, it's okay so far. I, I'm, I'm going to keep watching it. Um, Sarah Michelle Geller was very good, but she was only in it for like maybe five minutes in the first episode. Nice. Um, but it's it seems like it maybe is a little not meant for my age bracket because it seems a little am like, I don't want to say amateur. That's not the right word. Yeah, but sure. just like a little, it's a little light if you, you, you know okay. what I mean? Makes sense. Um, but it's, it's basically werewolves it says right there on the wolf pack <laughs> but you know, um i'll keep watching right now i'm kind of lukewarm on it but i'm yeah. hoping that it gets better because anything was smg i got i got i got i got i love it <laughs> uh my third one is uh it's definitely not a new movie it is once upon a time in hollywood quentin tarantino's film um just popped it on the other night because i had nothing else to watch it I've, I've watched it before and i loved it when i first saw it in the theaters um and i loved it again and you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's long, you know, it's Quentin Tarantino. They're never short. Um, but God, it's just, it's such a good movie. And like watching it again, a few years later was just a really nice treat to feel like, oh yeah, this movie was good when I saw it and it's still fucking good now. And, you know, Brad Pitt and, uh, Leo put in great fucking performances as does fucking everyone in that movie. And it's just, <laughs> It's a wild ride through fucking, you know, 60s, 60s fucking Hollywood. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's such a good movie. If you've never seen it before, watch it. It's just, it's really, it's so worth it. Yeah, this one was not for me. Like, I I understand, like, the, why everyone likes it. Like, why everyone thinks it's, like, a great movie. And it, it looks fantastic. Like, the look of the movie is great. Uh, this, just this one, it was, like, the, the it was uneven for me. But yeah. if you love it, then love it. Like, that, I don't care. It just, like, yeah. was not. It's just, this one didn't quite hit me the same way I think it maybe hit you. The good news is that if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. Exactly. <laughs> and then, finally, my last one is something that I meant to talk about, like, two months back and I think it just got lost in my what you've been watching list and then I realized I never brought it up and so I was like I need to talk about this because it's probably one of the best shows I've seen in the last year um, it's the interview with the vampire on AMC oh Plus. I have I have not been able to watch this yet I, I will watch it when I get the chance so it's a little different than the maybe the movie that or or the book for for that matter that you're familiar with. This kind of picks up after like the depression, so like you think like late 30s, early 40s. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not kind of set way back like it is in the in the in the original. Um, it still takes place in New Orleans, um, but this time around, like it's just it's a little different there's a lot yeah. more to do with race because uh our main vampire is, is a black man and he's a black gay man oh, um so uh and he gets bit by uh louis of course and then it kind of goes from there and there are like familiar beats that you recognize from sure. the the movie or the book whatever you're most familiar with but the way that they changed it was just enough to where I thought we were going to go. I thought I was going to go into this and be like, oh, I've seen the movie. We've done the movie on yeah, the podcast. Sure, like, sure. We don't need to see it. It's totally different. And the way that they gate up those characters, oh, so good. Oh, um, good. That's good to hear. It's good. It's good queer television. It's good horror television. It's good storytelling uh, television. It's just, 
it's a great nice. show. Um, and I feel like it maybe didn't get the attention when it was on because there's just so much television now. Yeah. I think it kind of got like maybe a little bit lost and maybe that's AMC's fault. I don't know. Um, but I would encourage everyone to go out there and watch it so that it does get a season two because the, where they left it on a cliffhanger, they introduce one character at the very end. I'm not going to tell you who it is or how it sure. happens, but they introduce a character from the books that you're like, oh, shit i need to see where this is gonna go oh wow so that's interview with the vampire on AMC, amc plus my final one is uh called love and friendship this is uh from 2016 it's kate beckinsale it's Gemma redgrave it's tom bennett chloe sevigny stephen fry it's a really really wonderful cast and where it is, is kate beckinsale these days i know it is uh an adaptation of one of jane austen's novellas um, and so it's, you know, it's the same kind of story as Jane Austen always has. It's something about marriage and this and that, whatever. Um, that's that kind of stuff just gets me going. I love it. I love a good period piece. And this one also just happened to be filmed right up the road from where I live in Dublin. So it was really cool to see a lot of the locations of like the places that I walk by like every single day. Um, it's, it's a beautiful film. It's really well done. It's also fucking funny. Like when Jane Austen is done correctly, it should be funny and witty. And um, this one certainly is. So this one I really love. It's on Netflix. Um, you, if you're into that kind of thing, give it a watch. Cool. Well, that does it for what you've been watching. But Maddie brought us The Whale, which is currently in cinemas. The Last of Us on HBO. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, currently streaming on Netflix. And Love and Friendship, also currently streaming on Netflix. And Andrew brought us The Drop on Hulu. Mayfear Witches on AMC+. Wolfpack on Paramount+. And Interview with the Vampire on AMC+. That's a lot of pluses these days, you know? <laughs> Um, I, that, that, is that what every brand does now? Just put a plus on the end. Um, Blame anyway, Apple. <laughs> I know, right? Anyways, folks, that is it for what you've been watching, bitch. Take a little break, and we'll be back with our first film, which is called We Are What We Are, or Somos Lo Que Hay. papá. <laughs> Vamos a hacer. Tienes que tomar el lugar de papá. De ahora en adelante yo decidiré lo que va a ser la familia. Yo no te tengo miedo. Pues deberías. en riesgo a la familia, Alfredo. Pues esto les va a pasar si se vuelven a acercar a mi familia. Are you what you are or are we what we are? Maddie, tell us about we are what we are. Young, wild, hungry. When the patriarch of the family passes away, the teenage children must take responsibility for the family chores, the preparation of the rituals, the hunting, and putting the all-important meat on the table. These newfound responsibilities are even more daunting, however, when you live in the city and happen to be a family of cannibals. 
We Are What We Are is directed and, and written by Jorge Michael Grau, or Jorge Michel Grau, pardon me. Uh, it was produced by, let me, let me try this, Centro de Capacitación Cinematográfica. CCC. Um, and it was distributed by IFC. Uh, Alfredo was played by Francisco Barrero. Julian was played by Alan uh, Chavez. Uh, Patricia was played by Carmen Beato. And Sabina was played by Paulina Gaitan. Uh, the film is not rated. It's 90 minutes. Of course, it's from Mexico. Uh, shot entirely in Mexico City. Uh, the budget, not available, but it did have a gross of 339000 um, and it was released on March 25th, 2010, which is 13 fucking years ago, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, this was a first watch for both of us. I know that. So, Andrew, what did you um, what'd you think? Yeah, as, as you stated, this is a first time watch. Uh, I haven't even seen the remake, so I didn't really know. I, yeah. I didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. Um, unfortunately, the description of the movie gives away what the movie's about. Um, obviously, we already talked about it. It's about cannibals. But um, I wish I would have gone in not knowing that. Um, it would have made for a different experience, I think, just kind of like getting to like the point of what was happening. Yeah. Uh, but overall, this movie kind of blew me away a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was at first I was like, what are we getting into? Is this going to be like a, a really slow situation? Cause it does kind of start off a little bit slow. Like you're not sure really enough. sure like yeah. what's going on. Sure. You're trying to understand the family dynamics that are happening. Um, and then it kind of like picks up the pace and then it like never slows down for the rest yeah. of the movie. Like it just kind of like tumbles into like this whole mess of like what they've created in, in their own little world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought this movie was for for being a cannibal movie, which is like not my favorite thing in the world. I, it's like just like not a genre that I tend to um, want to watch just because of obvious reasons. Sure. Um, but I thought the way that they handled this movie was kind of great, if I'm being yeah. honest. Um, and we'll talk about some of the specifics around kind of the dynamics in, in, in Mexico City in this movie. Um, specifically around like sex workers and and how they're portrayed sure. in this movie, and especially, which I did not uh, did not realize this going in, but both of our movies have gay in them. So yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, this one a little bit more exploitative, uh, not exploitative, a little more explicative uh, than the other one because we'll talk about the opening of the next movie when we get to it. But <laughs> yeah, this is a little bit more explorative when it comes to the the queer identity of Alfredo. I would agree. Um, but yeah, overall, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. What about you? Yeah, I, I was too. Um, you know, I it's uh, I'll be I'll be honest. Like I've 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 had a, a really just insane couple of weeks at work, and my my brain is just just it's just fucking fried. If I'm being honest with you. And, you know, normally watching things with subtitles is truly never a problem for me. This one, I, I definitely had to really get myself into it just, just because literally because I'm tired. It's not because they were subtitles. But even with that, you know, even with knowing that about how I was watching this movie, right, um, it still, I thought, was was extremely compelling and really brought me in, even though I was, you know, fucking tired. Um, and it, it's 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 a wonderful film because, you know, like, I mean, Andrew told you the basics, right? They're a cannibal family, whatever this, this, this. Um, but the film does a great job of really, like, building up to it, right? So, like, the description mentions this ritual, right? And you don't really get to know what the ritual is until, like, the mm -hmm. very end, 
right? Well, and you still don't really, but and, we can and, you, and you still don't. But but I, I think that that was that. I think that that that's all a very deliberate move. It was it's a really good choice because it keeps you guessing and wondering. Like what? Wait, so they're doing something bad. They're taking these people, but what are they actually doing? Like, what actually is this? And why did the dad die some weird, strange death on on the street? You know what I mean? Like, you're just not sure ever. And so, and especially when when they toss around words like ritual throughout the whole thing, it makes you wonder. Like, wait a minute, is there some sort of like supernatural element to this? Or, you know, are, are they real? Are they ghosts? Are these people like timeless? And like they did a great job in casting too, because Alfredo, um, you know, while he's playing, obviously, you know, uh, uh, the, the two brothers, Alfredo and Julian, they're both young, but like Alfredo looks almost like not young. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, I, I, I guess he's like 17, maybe 16, yeah, but, but he, he has elements of him that look like he's like 40. For some reason, well, yes. especially when he goes into stalker mode, that's right, 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 exactly. And so you're looking at him, and your mind starts thinking because you don't really know what's going on for much of the movie. Like you don't know fully what's going on. You you start to wonder, like, well, wait a minute, is he like some kind of like monster or something, like something like that, or are these people just cannibals? And that's all that it is. And so I really do enjoy that sort of like liminal, not liminal space. That's sort of like um, that's sort of like tension that the movie creates that you get to live in throughout the entire viewing of it. Um, and I also think like it, it does a really great job of just cinematography in general. I think the film is shot in a really beautiful way. It feels really gritty. Like they're, they're using some sort of good filter on it that just makes it, gives it that little bit of grain that it just feels ugh, a little bit more gritty than shit that you're used to watching, you know? Yeah. And um, and the, the 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 queer scenes with Alfredo, I think, are really interesting. There's there's one part where he goes hunting and he goes into um, a gay club in Mexico City. He follows these guys and he he circles in on this one. And there, you know, there's a it's not even queer coded. It's a fucking queer scene. Like it's just right there, right? And it's interesting to watch Alfredo wrestle with it. As as he's as he's thinking about what he needs to do, as he as he thinks about this primal, not this primal, as he thinks about like this traditional duty that he has within the family, which is to eat people and bring them back so that the family can eat them too, but also with this primal urge that he very likely has to have sex with this person. And well, yeah, you you find out like there's a scene later where uh, I'm I'm skipping a lot, but it does have to do yeah. with this particular part of the movie where he's yelling at his mom and he basically is saying like, "Why do you hate me? Why have you always hated me? Yep. Why why did you make me this way?" And she says to him, "You were born this way." And you can take that two different oh, ways. Yeah. You can take that as either his queerness or as his cannibalistic like expectations. Like totally agree. It's so like coded in that in that like matriarchy um relationship that he has with his mother that it's yeah. it it can't the, the whole gay thing i had no idea that's where we were going with this yeah. and the way that they ride the line between what is he talking about is he talking about himself being gay or is he talking about himself being a cannibal and the way they ride that line and the way they never explicitly say what he's actually talking yeah about sure was done really really well so that was just something that I noticed in, in this in, in this watch. Yeah. But um, a couple of things that I wanted to call out is that so this family, the dad or maybe the whole family, because they talk about how Sabina 
also helps with this, which I'm just going to say it right now. Sabina is the ultimate orchestrator of all of this business. Oh, totally. <laughs> oh my God, yes. They think that Alfredo's in charge. They think that Patricia is in charge. No, it's Sabina. It's She's Sabina. the one in everyone's ear. <laughs> um, but uh, they, so they're a whole family of like clock makers or clock fixers yeah something. like 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 uh and like like a like a watch repair shop kind of thing you know yeah so that part did drive me insane is when they're in their house and anytime that they're in their house there's just like constant ticking all over the place <laughs> yeah, and it just totally it really put me on edge <laughs> so i just had but to like call it, that but out it, you know it, that's you know another choice from the filmmaker right and and it's interesting to think about you know time and about that ticking clock in terms of like what this family needs to do in order to survive I will say, um, I do think that there, while I think the family dynamics and everything that's going on with that side of the movie is done so well, yeah, I'm not as invested in the other half of the movie that's all about like the kind of like bumbling cops. Um, I just Fair didn't enough. get in, I just didn't get invested in them or that story enough. I do think it was funny that when they were at the um, at the crematorium or or the what the guy who does all the the stuff yeah. um when he's like putting makeup on him and then they're like oh don't you know don't try too hard we're just gonna burn him and he's like well why did i even try that <laughs> i thought that that was kind of funny um but i think that just like those so we have two cops in this movie and they're constantly being made fun of because i guess they're either bad cops or they've never solved like a big crime or yeah they're de- and they're detectives like they're on that side of the but they like keep not getting any everything right like they think they're on to something with the with the um i keep wanting to say prostitute so i'm gonna try to say sex worker as much as possible but they say prostitute in this movie so much yeah <laughs> They also say the F word a lot in this movie, they do. That I'm, <laughs> but I'm trying to limit myself. Um, but even like the moments with like the sex workers and like there's the moment where they try to offer up the youngest sex worker so that he'll like do something about the murder of the other yeah. woman. And I'm just like, this seems so icky. And I just don't like those characters. And then they end up getting killed. But it's, I, I did think that that moment was so idiotic of where he is basically chasing Alfredo and Julian um, down the alley. And he's got him cornered and he's like, all right, stop. And then like these other like, I guess, more like pedestrian cops like come running up. And he's like, I'm a cop. I'm a cop. And like, they shoot him anyway. Oh, my like, God. That part drove me insane. So all this stuff with the cops kind of drove me insane. But it's equally balanced out by how good all the stuff with the family is. So overall it's kind of a moot point, but I just did want to like say like, I think that the movie's maybe a little imbalanced in that way. Now also uh, this is supposed to be like a sequel to Kronos. Isn't that right? I did see that, that it's a standalone sequel to Kronos, which I read the synopsis of, and I don't really understand. I've not seen that movie. Uh, I've seen a lot of, um, God, what's the name of that director? Cronenberg. No, no, is it Cronenberg? I thought, isn't it? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, no, 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 no. Pardon me, pardon me. Forgive my brain. Forgive my brain. Kronos, this is the one from 85? Uh, Or or like 92? 90 something, yeah. So, so this was the independent. I'm, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Independent horror drama film written by oh, it's Guillermo del Toro. Fucking that's duh. what I was trying to think of. Oh my god, T- take away our horror podcasting. Card. I know, Jesus Christ, <laughs> fuck. Um, that's like his only movie that I've never seen because I think it's his first movie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Maybe it is. I've, I've I've also not seen it. 
but yeah apparently it's a maybe that's where you learn a little bit more about the ritual i don't know um but yeah oh, it's, and, uh, it's okay so I'm, I'm looking at this right now andrew it says this uh the do 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 a standalone sequel uh we are what we are was released in 2010 with the only connection being danielle jimenez cacho reprising his role as tito the coroner Oh, okay. So, so maybe the, it has so nothing to do with it. The the uh the coroner the coroner was also in Kronos. Got it. Who I was talking about earlier about the makeup. Yes. Yeah. Um uh I, I thought it was it, this whole movie is very interesting. A couple of different things that I kind of took away from it. Um I found it very strange that um you would eat a finger that way because they yeah. find a fully manicured whole finger either in the stomach or esophagus or something in the in the dad who I think we forgot to say like the dad dies in the opening scene. Oh yeah. And that's like the inciting incident for all of this. But um the other part that drove me insane about this movie is that literally so I think that this movie takes place around like 48 hours, right? That's what you'd probably say. I would say so. I, I, I mean, like over the course of like a weekend, basically. But they keep like literally every other word out of Sabina's mouth is tomorrow. And I'm like, when is tomorrow? Like, when is tomorrow? Just tell coming? us already for like, God's sake. <laughs> um, so because they keep saying like, if we don't get any meat by tomorrow, which they do go to bed in the movie. So I'm like, what isn't today, tomorrow? whatever small small thing time um, is a flat circle you know yeah. um but it, it, it did notice that like man at one point they must have killed a lot of people because they had like little salt jars a all ton. over the yeah. house and I'm, I'm assuming that's how they kept the flesh like cured Ugh, god jesus Christ. um but they Ugh. were out of like they were out of everything and i'm like what was his dad doing on his deathbed apparently <laughs> but um we're kind of led to believe that maybe he was poisoned by the prostitutes yeah. um um or the sex workers sorry um but we never really get a full understanding of that i do think by the end of the movie what comes full circle for the sex workers is pretty uh, it's pretty awesome if Fuck i'm being yes honest it is. it's amazing so there, there's a point in the movie where the mom basically uh, the two boys bring home a sex worker for their kind of ritual but the mother does not want a sex worker because that's what her husband would always go after yeah sure and it's and it's not said if you go after them for eating or for sex but it's just he goes after them like that's it's just it's that line that this movie rides the whole time where you're like are you talking about sex or are you talking about eating i don't know yeah <laughs> because, right well and that's the it, thing is and and that just remains a theme throughout the movie is that you just you just don't know and yeah. and it, it it raises all these questions but it doesn't it doesn't answer them it, it answers very few questions in here including like um when when the mother is like one of us must survive like, like the rich the, the ritual the ritual is what matters like we never really learn the lore behind all of this yeah and like and that that would be something like i, I guess if i had to like ding the movie for, for something i would say it would probably be that for me because like i would love to like and maybe i miss some of it and that's quite possible because i don't i don't speak spanish um but like knowing more about like how this family came to be and like, what what is the tradition that they came from in the first place to like make this a thing that's that's still happening? Yeah, and I just want to finish my my thought before I completely lose it. Um, but they do bring home the sex worker, and she accidentally she ends up killing the sex worker and making yeah. it look like making it look like basically she got revenge on the sex workers for fornicating with her her sons essentially. Yeah. Um, which this movie really does play fast and loose with morals and like what's going on in this in mexico city at this time um which i imagine it, it takes place because no one has cell phones or anything so i'm imagining it's more like 90s 
Um, I but guess I don't know. So. Yeah, for sure. M- most likely. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's it's interesting that you say that, considering that there are clocks everywhere. Yeah. It? And that yeah. Time, time is such an important part of it, and that it's a sequel to Kronos. Time's kind yeah. of all over this thing, isn't it? And then um, by the end, the mother does escape because she abandons her children so she'll survive. But what happens? The sex workers find her and they take revenge on her, which I thought was a nice little full circle moment. Um, I'm trying to think what else I have in my in my notes. I did like the line of when the two boys are talking and um, Alfredo says to Julian, he's like, I'm not afraid of you. And then Julian says back, like, you should be because he's yeah. like the more violent one. Because Alfredo is kind of painted as kind of like the more delicate or the more um rest like wrestling with these feelings of should we be doing what we're doing he's the moral compass of kind of like this family structure but exactly but he's also the oldest and then been told you need to make decisions you need to do all this stuff as as sabina is just like whispering in his ear his ear all of these different things um and then we do get Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, we do get to the end um, where, you know, they do say that someone needs to survive. So in a moment of genius slash panic, uh, Alfredo decides to bite Sabina and make it look like they were attacking her. Uh-huh. His, br- his brother takes it the wrong way and thinks that he's really attacking her and shoots him in the head and then gets shot himself by the police. Um, and then, you know, Sabina is survives and Sabina gets taken wins. to the hospital and, and a uh, very, and a very chilling final scene of her leaving the hospital in this white gown and just looking at this, uh, rather odd looking fellow in the market. Um, but looking at her next meal as and, uh, that creepy music plays that plays over the, the credits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a really, it's a really wild one. The, the, the only other thing that I, that I want to mention about it is the scene where they're trying to steal a child. Um, from, from one of the, yeah, one of the like wandering children, like, like the homeless kids under the bridge and they, they try to get one, they try to get a couple, but they, they, they almost get one and then they don't. And, um, the, that particular group of kids, wherever they found them, Jesus Christ, they were actually like really good. Cause they were, they're, they're fucking real kids, obviously. So, um, it, it's, it was, um, it was harrowing to watch that part. That part was really hard to watch. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the, and then the other part that was harrowing to watch was when they actually get the cab driver and they oh God, start yeah. the ritual on him, which Jesus. actually they, they show a lot, but they don't show a lot. Right. Like yeah. it's, it's not like, I don't know, like for me, like I'm not a huge like gore hound or anything. I don't Same. mind it. It doesn't yeah. really bother me at this point, but like, it's, I'm it's like, not our thing. It, but at this point, I'm like, oh, it's a cannibal movie. It's going to be really gross. But like the way that they do it and the way that the camera is kind of positioned, we do get a couple of really gross moments. But overall, sure. not that bad for them dissecting yeah, a man. It's, it's it's sort of sort of Greek drama in that way. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I did love the part oh, where, um, sorry, I did love the part where the cop comes in and they have like this really weird scuffle up and down the stairs and everyone's attacking everybody. And then all of a sudden Chaos. out of the out of the corner. Um, Sabina comes through the door with that either axe or hammer. I couldn't quite see what she was hand yeah. uh, like, but it, it almost reminded me of the end. Uh, or I'm sorry, it almost reminded me of when Mrs. Bates comes out of the room yes. in Psycho, and it just like runs down the hallway and yes. that guy down the <laughs> totally. stairs. Yeah, um, but it just reminded me of that. Um, 
then another quote in here that I thought it was interesting is that um, I, I think the mom says it to her, um, to Alfredo. She says, these wolves would gobble you up. And I was just like, oh, that's a weird way of phrasing it, considering you are cannibals. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> um, I also thought it was funny um, when they are in the cop car, the two cops get a code 14 and automatically they know, oh, code 14. We got your cannibals. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, like, that's uh, that's the cannibal code there, Captain. <laughs> I did think that that was kind of funny. Michael turned to me and he was like, so code 14's for cannibals? That's hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I think that that... I, I'm trying to see if I have anything else in my notes, but I think that we've covered most think, of it. I think we covered it. Andrew, why don't you tell me what your final takeaway was from We Are What We Are? So I said We Are What We Are was a tight thriller with some gruesome undertones. I just wish that the underlying lore was explained a bit more, and I gave it a five. I also gave it a five, and I said that We Are What We Are is gritty, brutal, and yet somehow it is also still subtle. The film really fucking works, man. And if that score didn't quite make sense to you, sorry, we forgot to explain it. We score on a seven stripe scale for the seven stripes of the rainbow. So a five is a pretty good score, I'd say, Uh for our first film. Amen. So, folks, that is it for We Are What We Are. We'll be right back with our second film of the episode. Here comes the devil. En una hora los quiero de regreso aquí. ¡Adolfo! ¡Sara! Creo que les haya pasado algo malo. Uh, who's that coming? I think it might be the devil. Andrew, tell us about Here Comes the Devil. Also known as Ahi Va El Diablo. The devil is coming. A married couple loses their children while on a family trip near some caves in Tijuana. The kids eventually reappear without explanation, but it becomes clear that they are not who they used to be and that there is something terrifying that has changed them. This is directed and written by Adrian Garcia Bojliano. The production company was Morbido Films and Magnet Releasing handled the distribution. Um, April is played by Dana Dorel. Sandra is played by Jessica Iris. Uh, Ismael is played by Juan Carlos Araguen. Soul is played by Laura Caro, and Felix is played by Francisco Barrero, which, if that name sounds familiar, he was also in We Are What We Are. <laughs> we just now realized that. It's a, it's a Francisco um, Barrero double feature today yes. on Friday the 13th. Uh, this film is not rated. It comes in at 97 minutes, obviously made in Mexico, in and around Tijuana. Um, the budget really wasn't available. Small release. This only had a profit of about, about $4,500. It was released on September 20th of two. 2012. 
Maddie, uh, what do you think of this crazy ass movie? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's it's a, it, it ends up being a possession movie, and um, I think some parts of it work, sure. And um, you know, I I think uh, I hate to sound like a prude, but I think maybe the sex in this movie is just a little over the top. If if I'm being honest, you, with you. don't say like. <laughs> And you know, like it's maybe it's just because I'm getting older now. I swear to God, I kind of no, feel that way. It's literally the movie opens with two women scissoring. Yeah, I know. But like, I mean, <laughs> if I'm if I'm being honest, like I almost feel that way about a lot of stuff anymore. I I think that like sex is just like such. How can I say this? Like, sex needs to be if whatever you do in any sort of creative outlet, whether you're writing a book or you're you know writing a play or you're directing something or whatever the fuck. Everything needs to be like a deliberate choice. It needs to be thoughtful. And I just sort of felt like it's not in this movie. And like there's like there's a scene of like the the mom and the dad, like he's like fingering her in the car and like talking about it's like, like crazy seven shit. minutes long. Yeah. And it's, it just it goes on forever. And like honestly, like if it's not part of how you need to tell the story, I don't really understand why it's there. And like, I suppose part of it might be there to like get your brain thinking about sex because when the kids come home, you don't like know what's happened. It's like maybe they got sexually abused or, you know, whatever the fuck it might be. But it could just, I don't know, that that stuff didn't really work for me, it, for sure. But like, you know, like the, the possession stuff it basically worked. You know, I think like the um, the the daughter, what's the daughter's name? Um, it's very con- similar to Sabina, but it is. I wrote it down because I was like, I don't want to get this confused. Is it so? It's Adolfo and Sarah, right? Yeah, but she also goes by something else in this something movie. Else. Yeah, well, well, we'll, we'll just say Sarah anyway. For now. Anyway, so you know, Sarah, the the way that Sarah exhibits the possession, I think, I think is pretty chilling, right? The the the, the sound in the movie, I think, is is a really important thing to to consider. Um, because the movie really does sound scary. Like even at the very end when the credits are rolling, it's like full on like death metal. Her um, name is Sarita. Sari- so it's just like little Sarah. Yeah. So so Sarita. Um, I'm writing that down. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I think that that stuff all really works and the sex doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it, right? And like the 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 main plot of the of the movie is that like these these parents and their kids go to like this like little mountainy area in in Tijuana and like the kids get lost. And um, like they come back and they're just fucking, they're not the fucking same. Right. So it's, um, I don't know. I, I think in general, it's, it's pretty good. Right. What did you think? Um, this one, it, let's, let's, it's tough. I know it, it is because, and that's where I get, I, I liked certain aspects of the movie. I think yeah. like when it commits to what it's doing in the movie, it does a good job. For Agreed. instance, when they go after the guy who they maybe think uh, molested Sarita, yeah, um, they go after him and they have this whole scene where they have him in his trailer, they wake him up, they have a knife, they tie him up, they go through this whole thing, they find the underwear and they jump to conclusions and they end up killing him and she literally tears his throat out with her bare hands. Yeah. And that whole segment really worked for me because I understood them as parents and I understood what they were trying to accomplish and I understood that whole sequence of events of her, them going to where he worked and showing the kids that guy and making sure that they had a reaction and the whole psychologist leading up to that moment yeah but then we kind of veer off from that whole storyline and then it's all about 
maybe the kids are evil, but the kids don't really ever do anything to make themselves evil. And then there's an invisible entity that kind yeah. of like comes into the movie that's never truly explained except for Marsha says it's the devil. But also even even the invisible entity can't help but like grab boobs. Do you know what I mean? I know. And well, like and then that that part was over the fucking top. I'm sorry. Well the whole I I let's I, I think that the woman that plays Marsha does her monologue really well. But yeah. that whole story about how she probably got raped in in their living room and then she went up to the kids room and they were having sex is what she implies that whole thing was just so wackadoo yeah and then she talks about how the devil was sitting on her chest and she has footprints on her chest and but the whole thing about that whole sequence is that they come home from killing a man literally and the babysitter who's one of her good friends we find out who she's known for forever is gone and what do they do? Oh, we're gonna give her one phone call. Oh, she didn't answer. I guess I guess everything's fine. Yeah, right. And like she doesn't go to visit her until like two days later to make sure she's okay. And I'm just like, there's there's moments like that in this movie that just take me out of it where I'm like, you're not gonna go see what's going on. Like, oh, the kids are okay, so I guess everything's fine. Um, and I, I think that that's where this movie doesn't quite make it for me is that it doesn't commit to what it wants to be because there's this whole part about how the guy at the gas station who we find out in the weirdest way possible that his daughter was the lesbian at the beginning who gets her fingers chopped off which i I was like what the why does that even need to be a thing i i I was Um, wondering the same thing i was like what is the connection here why and 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 he just happens to work at this guest it's it's bizarre the way it doesn't yeah, and it's, it's funny. Leaves. It's funny. Like I'm looking at the rating that I gave this, and I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, I think overall for me, it was kind of just like every everything they threw. At, and I'm looking at our trivia and the things that they cited as kind of um, what did they call it? Spiritual help. So basically, what yeah. they took from. So. I saw a uh, picnic at a hanging rock. I'm like, okay, so there's the rocks, uh, the entity. Okay. There's the invisible entity that's obsessed yeah, sure. with boobs. Cause if you've never seen that movie, woo, it's a doozy. Um, David, if David you are, Cronenberg, there's David there's Cronenberg. The so there's the gore stuff. It's, I, it, I feel like, and maybe this is a young director, a young writer. I'm not really sure like where this falls within his like repertoire of films or if he ever did any other films. But this to me feels like they threw a little bit too much at the wall and not enough of it stuck. Maybe that makes um, sense. I did like some of the things. I like the creepy kid angles, but they never really go full creepy kid because technically they don't even do anything except for go to school and go to the rocks and come home and eat breakfast. Like they this, don't ever really do anything. <laughs> yeah. Th- this guy's directed quite a, quite a few things. Um, the, maybe the most well-known that I've seen on the list of things that he's done is the ABCs of death. Um, oh so he, yeah, okay. He must have been a part of that, and that that was also in 2012. So maybe maybe 2012 was like his peak year for horror. Um, and he's got some other films, late phases in 2014. Um, they all have really great covers. I'll tell you that. Um, tell yeah, you, you know, he, I, this 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 guy loves a zoom. I'll tell you that much. He, yeah, um, yeah, he does. I mean, <laughs> there are so know, many zooms I, in this movie. <laughs> right. I I I think. It's like it's like I want to say the movie just it it mostly it's mostly fine you know what I mean I didn't I didn't hate it 
I didn't but either. I, also, I maybe been sounding too harsh, but no, I, I don't. I don't. I think we just sound like people talking about a movie. But I mean, I, it's just it's one that I definitely. Did, I'm, I'm never going to go back to this movie for sure. And um, it, you know, I I wish that it. I wish that it just hadn't flexed so hard on sex because it's just it. It is funny. Like, and I wonder if anyone else out there feels this way. Like, just sometimes I, 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 I'm. You know me, Andrew. I'm. I'm not a prude. I'm probably the least prudish person that you you fucking know. But like. Just, I just felt, I felt weird watching this movie. It just felt weird to me. Well, I think that that, well, it's partly because this camera is always moving. I'll tell you that. Much. Yeah, it it's also that on edge. But um, there's just there's a lot in this movie. So the movie starts with two women having sex, and then a guy, mm. uh, a serial mm. killer, apparently breaks yes. in yes. and cuts off the woman's fingers before he's interrupted by the other uh, woman who she was having sex and, with. And I I will say that part is is fucked up when he takes that bag of fingers and they all like fall out all over the place. That was pretty spooky. But it doesn't go anywhere. I know. No, no, I get it. Like, but it's, it's like the the image itself. I was like, oh, whoa, that's fucked up. Jesus. Because then he goes to the mountain to, I don't know, uh, give them to give the fingers to the mountain. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess the, 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 the mountain is the devil. The devil is the mountain. And then after that whole sequence of events, the actual movie starts because we <laughs> never come back to those people ever again. They are mentioned by the gas station guy, but they're never seen again. Um, and we have this moment where um, uh, where the, the Sarita has her first period and the the mountain sucks up the period blood oh, is Jesus the only way I can Christ explain I. it. I mean, again with this, you know, I come know. on. And they go, they go missing. They turn up the next day from the police, and obviously, we, like we've said, they're not who they think they are. There's a really chilling moment where the mom does finally go up to the mountain and goes in the cave. And at first, I was like, "Girl," because she brings a flashlight later, but she does not bring a flashlight that first time. And I was right. like, "You're not yeah. gonna be able to see anything in there." Um, but she discovers the dead bodies of her two children. And I thought that that really worked for me. Yeah. But then, like, she goes on this whole thing about instead of just going to her husband, because that's what they, the rest of the movie, they are perfectly good communicators. The rest of the movie, she's like working in secret against her husband. And then when she goes to take him. For no reason. For no reason. I know. And when she goes to take him to go look at the bodies, I think, so this is what I think happens and why he does what he does. I think what happened is she said, I'm going to stay home with the kids today because I think she makes up a a lie about chicken pox at at school and they have have to stay home. And she's like, I'm going to stay home with them. We'll do something fun and you go to work. And then she calls him in this like fit of panic. And she's like, meet me at the mountain. I have to show you something. He, she takes him up there and she shows him the dead bodies. I think what happens is he thinks that she killed them in that moment and put them in the, in the mountain. And that's why he shoots her and then subsequently shoots himself in the moment though. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like I had to really think about it because what she does before that is I think she, she either, do you think she poisoned them or do you think she just put them to sleep? Andrew, I just don't know. It's bizarre. Um, I, I just, I just don't know. <laughs> and then at the at the very end of the movie, they show up in the car, and you're supposed to. I think you're supposed to imply that 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 they are now the new like quote unquote hunters because there is this uh, energy in the mountain that takes uh, people's bodies as vessels, and it's said that they go out and do bad things, but. 
if you think about the movie, the kids don't ever really do anything bad except for don't go to school. So I don't really yeah. understand. Like, um, I'm being harsh on this movie, but I I wanted to like it so much because I actually do like the idea. I lo- I mean, we've done changeling movies before on this I, podcast. I, I also love a good possession movie. I love I love possession. And I, I even fact, I'm possessed right now. And I even like like ghosty stuff, and there is some ghosty yeah, stuff in this sure. movie. But when they do it in this movie, it looks so weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they, um, quote unquote, like levitated people in this movie, but when they are doing it, it looks so strange. Like any strange. other it, levitation it I've never it seen. Doesn't, it doesn't look good. No, it looks like. Fuck, I, I have to, I have to adjust my rating all the way now. Fucking. Um, I did think it was, I, I actually think the whole like revenge thing on the guy who they think maybe, um, uh, maybe molested Sarita. Yeah. I think that that all works. I even think it's kind of funny when they go to put on their murder gloves and she has like little bells on her glove because yeah. it's like her, it's like her winter gloves. It's like not like murder gloves. Um, and I think that that whole part works. It, what doesn't work for me is the whole supernatural angle because they just don't get enough into it. Yeah. You know, there's, um, y'all y- know I'm a letterbox person now, now that I finally know how to fucking use the thing. I'm also a letterbox pro user. Looking forward to your sponsorship letterbox. Um, but there is a review from Jason Kennedy that I think is, is a pretty good sum up of it. It says, he says Spanish import that mistakes seventies style, well, Mexican import that mistakes seventies style exploitation for depth. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's hard to curl your brow and ponder inquisitively over any mystery with loads of nudie bits and bobs. Sure, shoehorn is sweaty lesbian sex, sweaty car groping, everything is okay grinding, ghostly breast touching, waking up naked, and multiple multiple shower scenes. That's what serious adult horror is, right? I think well said, Jason. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, he's, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Um, (laughs) um, the other thing I do have in my notes that that kind of struck out to me is when she goes to take her husband, like, listen, I understand why he, why he has to have this bag so that he can have a gun in the bag, but, um, he, he takes his work bag up on the mountain with him. And I was like, do you need to get on your laptop for something? Like what, what are you doing? Um, there's also a part where she, she drugs the children, I think she poisons them because they look kind of dead when she goes to like leave. It seems that way. But then they're all of a sudden zombies because they show up in like their dead body children ways, like wearing the clothes that they're in at the bottom of the cave and like attack her. And she smacks the one in the head and then runs out of the house. But it's never truly understood. Like what? So who are these now? Because the children are in their what they call what they called their fiesta clothes um, at the at the breakfast table. So who are these new entities that are now attacking her in their clothes from the bottom of the cave? I don't know. This movie was all over the place. Um I I don't know. I I maybe I hated it. I don't know. I thought I maybe liked it a little, but now that I'm talking about it, I don't know if I did. Actually, maybe I maybe I hate this movie. Um well, Andrew, look, do we have anything else to say about this movie? Um there was a lot of shower scenes and it really drove me crazy that she showered constantly with the door yeah, open. Big time. Um because they obviously had a thing that she could close. Um I I did like some of the lore that the gas station guy would kind of impart on our main character. Sure, he kind of talked about how the the creatures on the hill they think that we're just vessels, they think that we're yeah. just shells and they like Looking and I did think ones. it was 
yeah, I did think it was kind of cool, like the, how the earthquake happens every time that they kind of like take a new vessel. Um, I, I think that that stuff does work. And I, I would like to hear a little bit more about like what his idea was for these kind of like um, creatures in the mountain, if you will, because I think that that part is kind of strong and I, I, I'm interested. Yeah. Um, but the way that they kind of take it, I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, I did. I did like the line when they go to Lucio to kill him and they say, he's like, why are you here? And she goes, because we are the devil and we've come for you. And I was like, okay, wow. okay you're getting Damn, a little girl. crazy. Getting fierce on that shit. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say. This is a weird mixed bag of a movie. <laughs> well, here's what I had to say in the very end. I said, vicious and brutal, but what else could the devil be? And I gave, I, I adjusted this uh, to be a little bit more realistic. I gave it a three and a half. I said, what it does well is great, but there are too many ideas and we kind of lose the plot about halfway through. I'm going to come down to, I initially yeah. had this at a four, but after talking about it, I think it's like a three and a half. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it takes a little conversation to get to, the, to, to really calibrate the score. I'm really sorry, Adrian. This one just didn't quite work for me, but I, I still enjoyed you know watching it. That's the thing is I still liked yeah. watching it. It just sure. was like, it was just like chaos in front of my eyeballs. Like, listen, I mean? listen, he'll be, he'll be just fine. Now, Andrew, uh, let's end it here for uh, here comes the devil. And we'll be right back with our final game of the episode well that about does it for episode 91 of Fraggy the 13th horror podcast but wow. wait there's just a little bit more that we have to share with you and because we are doing our global horror series about mexico i thought Hey, let's look up some common slang phrases. Okay. Uh, and we're going to see if you can um, decipher them. Okay. I'm going to do my best to put intonation into my my sayings because okay. I, I realize that you don't speak Spanish. But, um, you know, do your best. Uh, okay. Hit me. First one. Es neta. It's nothing. Close. Are you kidding me? It's kind of like the common uh, phrase. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, vives en las nubes. Uh, vives en las nubes. Mm-hmm. Vives en las nubes. Like, um, think of someone. Think of someone pointing their finger at you. Vives en las nubes. Does that mean like, oh, you're such a child? Kind of. It's uh you have your head in the clouds. Oh, okay. I get that. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, next one. There's two more. A la chingada. A la chingada. A la chingada. Does that, does that, uh, is that just like a fuck you? Or not, not a fuck you, but is that just like a ah fuck kind of thing? It's exactly it. It's fuck it or this fucking thing. Yeah, that's like, I'm going to start saying that a lot more. A la chingada. <laughs> uh, and then the last one is echar pasión. Echar pasión. Echar pasión. Is that, oh, fuck, what is that? Echar pasión. It, the first word is is one word. Echar mm-hmm. pasión. Echar pasión. Um, man, I'm I'm horny. Is that what it means? Uh, it means to have sex. Yeah, oh so, yeah. Well, kinda. there we go. My my perpetual state of being. I mean that that you did pretty well. Okay, for that. that's, I mean that's not bad. That's not bad. Thank you, Andrew, for that fun gonna... little fun little bit. So, Andrew, that is 91 episodes done. 
kind of incredible. And before we go, uh, just some some of our usual housekeeping stuff. First off, folks, we are a member of Dread Podcast Network. Be sure to go check out the other great shows on our podcast network. And you can find those by going to dreadcentral.com or just look it up on any podcast service that you use. If you want to support Friday the 13th, you can become a patron on Patreon. And you can buy merch by going to our website, which is frygay13.com slash support. And you'll find those options there for you. And speaking of support, we still do have our contest going on. So you got about when this comes out, you'll have about a week left um, to join the Dread Central giveaway. We're going to be giving away lots of prizes, lots of good stuff, including Blu-rays, T-shirts. There's a Terrifier doll that I don't want in my house anymore. So you can get that get that out of your house, Andrew. (laughs) It's going to saw you. Um, so yeah, if you want to sign up for that contest, all you can do it in two ways. You can sign up on our Patreon for a dollar, um, and you'll get in, entered into that giveaway, which the amount of people that are entered in the giveaway, 75% of you are probably going to get something. So yeah, you, you have a good chance of winning something if you want to enter. So you can either become a patron for a dollar, or you can leave a review on Apple podcasts and just take a picture of it and either send it to our email, which is fraggy 13 at gmail.com or just slide it right in those dms on either instagram or twitter and you'll be entered into the contest some new patrons that we've gotten um since we've announced the contest i'm just thinking that they're doing out of the goodness of their hearts Aww. but um annette brett holly and erica thank you so hey, much for awesome. joining the patreon welcome, welcome um, to the club folks uh, yeah. And so, you know, you'll get shout outs and stuff like that, too. But the big thing is the contest right now. So go and enter today. Love it. Um, Andrew, oh, man, I guess the only thing left to say now is get slayed. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.